Well, good morning. Uh, I got a text a couple of weeks ago that shocked me. Philip Dancy said that he was not he was going to be in the building, but he was not going to be preaching a sermon. He asked if I'd preach for him. I went, what? This is a guy that preaches like 50 times a year. And I went, hey, if that guy wants a break, I think he needs one. So I'm happy to do this. Um, uh, Philip, thanks for your preaching. Uh, just the, every time you ask me to do this, or every time I get to do this and I go through the preparation, I always think, man, that's a lot of work. And it feels like a lot of pressure. And I appreciate you bearing the weight of that every single week for us. Um, this morning we're going to talk from, from, from the epistle of Second John. Um, so I'm going to read it to you and then we'll get into it. Second John, starting in verse 1. It says, The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we've received commandment to do from the Father. And now I ask you, lady, not as writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you might not lose what we've accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. Um, So before we get into this, the letter itself, really... um, I'm going to spend a little bit on the like the first half of the first verse. Uh, it says, "The elder to the chosen lady and her children." So it brings up two questions: Who wrote it, and who received it? Uh, who, who are these people? Well, you may say, "Well, the letter says the second epistle of John, so duh, John wrote it." Um, but the letter actually does not say the word John in it. It's just the elder. Uh, the title Second John was added later. And so why did they give the title Second John? And who is this John? Um, personally, I don't really care who wrote it. I really don't. It, it doesn't matter to me at all. I, I care to know that it's canonical. I care to know that it should be in our Bibles and that it is the inspired word of God. Um, in his book, Canon Revisited, Michael Kruger notes that canonical books, books that should be in the Bible, I mean, uh, books that are inspired by God, have the following characteristics. They're beautiful and perfect, just like God. Psalm 19.7 says the law of the Lord is perfect. The next verse says the commandment of the Lord is pure. 
Psalm 119, 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And in verse 129 of the same chapter, your testimonies are wonderful. So there's a beauty and perfection to the Word of God. Um, it's a um, it's something that can be discerned, um, and and that's that's a that's a reality that's a characteristic of Scripture. Um, the second thing is they're consistent and harmonious with the rest of Scripture. So there's there's a doctrinal unity that we should find uh, in in canonical books. There's a structural unity. And there's a redemptive historical unity. So by doctrinal unity, I mean that there's a uh, that, that the books of the Bible are doctrinally consistent on the full gamut of theological issues. Um, there's a structural unity in that covenantally, the 27 books of the New Testament complete the 39 books of the Old. And there's a redemptive historical unity in that all 66 books of the Bible combine to tell one overarching story of what God has done in Christ to rescue his people. And so when we read, uh, when, we, when we look in books of the Bible, we should expect to see these things. Um, finally, they're, they're powerful and effective. Uh, books of the Bible are powerful and effective, just like God. Um, the scripture says of itself that it brings wisdom, it gives joy to the heart, it provides light to the dark paths of life, it gives understanding to the mind. It gives peace and comfort. It exposes sin and guilt, and it leads to prosperity and blessing. Um, and so as we get to the text in a little bit, I, I pray that you'll recognize Second John's beauty and perfection, that you'll note its consistency with the rest of Scripture and experience its power. And as you do, you'll be joining a really long line of other people dating back to within about 30 years after the death of John the Apostle. For example, Second John was cited by Irenaeus, uh, who lived in 130, who was born in 130 A.D., Cyril of Jerusalem, Jerome, Augustine, who was born around 400. Uh, it was included in every major canon of Scripture from the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th centuries. Uh, it was recognized as a book of the Bible by the councils at Hippo, Carthage, um, and again at Hippo, or again at Carthage in 419. Um, so as for who wrote it, so that, that's kind of like, is it canonical? The answer is yes, it is, and we'll see that in a few minutes. You'll, you'll, you'll see all three of those things come to play. Uh, but was it John the Apostle that wrote it? Probably. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that the themes of this letter are similar to those found in the Gospel of John, the book of 1 John, and the, and the book of 3 John. You'll see uh, truth and love. You'll find warnings against false teaching. Um, these are all common in John's other writings. And many phrases in 2 John are similar or identical to those in the Gospel of John, 1 John and 3 John. So he even uses a lot of the same language, and so it seems pretty clear uh, that it is, in fact, John the Apostle. So who received it? Well, it's this elect lady and her children. And so who are these, uh, who is the elect lady and her children? Is it a specific woman and her kids, or is it a particular local church? Um, there's a couple of reasons why I think John was writing to a particular local church here. The first is um, feminine language is used elsewhere in Scripture in reference to Israel and or the church. That's pretty commonplace. And then two, in his closing remark, um, John seems to suggest that his own local church is the elect sister of the church to which he's writing. So to summarize, 
Second uh, John is a letter inspired by God that was likely written by John the Apostle to the people at what we'll call Elect Lady Baptist Church. Um, so let's dig in this morning and see what God has for us. Um, if you were a Christian living in the first century and you loaded the kids up in the minivan and headed on down to Elect Lady Baptist Church, you would leave saying, man, that's really a great church. It's really a good church. Um, You'd find that the, the, the teaching was on point. Uh, the people knew the word. They were living in submission to the word. It, it was a good church. And so um, John says that he rejoiced greatly over what God was doing in the lives of the people there. Um, now, you may notice the word some in verse 4. He says, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth. Um, I, I don't think that's meant to... Uh, indict uh, the rest of the group. I don't think he's saying, hey, some of them are walking in truth. There's other people that are terrible. I don't think he's saying that. Uh, as we'll see in the rest of the chapter, the warnings are, um, are related to outsiders. I don't think he's indicating there's a problem here. Um, it seems that maybe he came into contact with some of the members of that church or some of those people, or he heard word of some of those people, and so he can't speak for all of them. But for the ones he knows of, he says some of them seem to be walking in the truth. So it's a good church. Uh, things were going uh, really well there. Um, and that's exactly how I feel about Sylvania. Uh, Amanda and I, we're in our 17th uh, year here. And so we've had a little time to observe. Um, and, and I see a great church. I really do. The people are devoted to God's word. And they're living in accordance with it, by and large. Um, I stay pretty amazed at what God's doing in the lives of the people here. Um, and I cannot tell you how thankful I am for it. It's honestly, Sylvania is the reason that we live in Tyler. Uh, I moved to Tyler to work at Pine Cove. Uh, I stayed in Tyler because of Sylvania. Um, and, uh, you know, for the longest time, um, Amanda's parents were in North Carolina. My parents were in northern Alabama. Uh, thankfully, uh, half of that problem has been solved. Amanda's parents are here in Tyler. Uh, that's a good thing. Uh, but it really is Sylvania that kept us here. Uh, and it's, you know, so we, we love this church and, um, and we're very thankful for it. So as far as I can tell, uh, Sylvania sounds a lot like elect lady Baptist church. Um, but no local church has arrived, right? And no, none of them are there yet. Um, so what do you say to a great church? What kind of encouragement or instruction do you give to a great church? What reminders does it need? What warnings should it heed? Um, well, John gives one reminder and one warning. The reminder is this, uh, walk according to his commandments. Um, in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34, this is the Gospel of John, not Second John, where we are right now. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. And now here in Second John, John says, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we had from the beginning, that we love one another. So which one is it? Is the command to love one another a new commandment or is it an old commandment? Well, the answer is yes. Uh, it is an old commandment and it is a new commandment. 
It's an old commandment in the sense that in Leviticus 19.18, it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so it's right out of the gate. Uh, you love your neighbor as yourself. That's an old commandment. But it's also new. Uh, Jesus says, um, love your neighbor not as yourself, but just as I have loved you. Now, that, that's new. Jesus was calling his disciples not merely to love others the way they love themselves, but to love others the way that he loved them. He's God in flesh who had just washed their feet and was on his way to the cross to die the death that they should have died. That's a new depth, and in that sense, it's a new commandment. Now, in 2 John, John tells the folks that elect Lady Baptist to love one another. And he says that's not new. So since it's not new, does that mean he's referring back to the Old Testament commandment to love one another as they love themselves? Well, possibly. Um, Jesus quotes, and Paul alludes to the Leviticus passage, so that may be what John's doing here. Um, But John wrote his letter to the late Lady Baptist Church a good 50 or 60 years after Jesus had died. So at that point, Jesus' new commandment was not so new anymore, right? It's 50 or 60 years old. Um, And so when John gave that commandment um, as the one they had from the beginning, he could have been referring to the command to love others as they love themselves or to love others the way Christ loves them. Either way, his command is clear. Love one another. So what is love? Now, it's sad that I see this every time I ask that question, what is love? If you caught the reference, I'm not endorsing Night at the Roxbury. I saw it 20-something years ago. Okay, I don't know anything about it anymore, but I just remember that one little head bob move there, okay? Um, That's just me being real here, okay? So what is love? What is John telling him to do? Uh, Take a look at verse 6. It says, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. And so John defines love here. Uh, He says, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. So what does it look like to love one another? It looks like obeying Jesus' commandments. So for John, love and obedience aren't enemies who need to be reconciled. They're friends who hang out together. And what is meant by his commandments? It's the word. Uh, John's reminding the people in elect Lady Baptist that they should know the word and obey the word. Um, that's what healthy churches do. They know the word and they obey the word. Um, but that's a never-ending task. And it can feel overwhelming. The magnitude of something like that can feel paralyzing if we let it. Uh, but but we shouldn't let it. Uh, I don't keep all of Jesus' commandments. I don't even know all of Jesus. Like, I couldn't even tell you all of Jesus' commandments. Um, There's a whole lot of reading to do to be reminded of all those things. I can't tell you all of them, right? And so we don't need to be overwhelmed and discouraged that we're not already obeying all the commandments right now. We just need to be diligently pursuing growth in in, in obedience to those commandments. So... The, the, the goal is growth. We're, we're pursuing perfection. We're not attaining perfection. We're, we're pursuing growth. We're not arriving at growth. Um, and so um, how does that happen? How do we grow uh, in, the, in this to know the word and obey the word? Well, it happens corporately. 
It happens together. So this letter, again, was written to a local church, and so it happens as they gather together. Um, So as we devote ourselves to the preaching of the word, uh, to the teaching of the word, to singing the word, praying the word, uh, as we devote ourselves corporately to the word, uh, we grow to know the word and to obey the word. That's how that happens. And then, of course, there is a and there's a private uh, devotion to Scripture that should mark the life of the believer. Um, you know, it's New Year's. People love the resolutions and stuff like that. I don't do resolutions. I stink at them. I just gave up on that stuff a long time ago. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm never the guy that's going to carry it out. I just stopped operating under that delusion. So, um, uh, But what what we need, though... Uh, is to be devoted to the Word. You know, if, if your Bible reading plan is like, hey, I'm going to read through the whole Bible in a year, do it. Um, that's a great plan to be on. If your Bible reading plan is like, hey, I'm going to read for three minutes and just put something in my head and think about it for a little while, that's also a great reading plan. Uh, super spiritual does not mean you read the whole Bible in a year, right? It, re- it really doesn't. Uh, you're welcome to do that, um, but... Uh, I think sometimes we can shoulder, we can strap burdens on our shoulders that, that we don't need to carry. We, need, we can define super spiritual in certain ways that the scripture really just doesn't. Um, the goal is devotion to the word, to know the word and to live according to the word. And so whatever that looks like for you, just be devoted to the word and be um, growing in obedience to it. Um, so he gives the command um, to grow in obedience to the word, to walk according to his commandments. But he also gives a warning here. Um, here's the scene at, at Elect Lady Baptist. They were a very hospitable church, apparently, um, as they should be. Uh, hospitality is so important, in fact, uh, that... Paul forbids someone to serve as elder unless they meet that qualification, unless hospitality marks them. Um, so hospitality is a big deal. The problem that elect Lady Baptist uh, is that their hospitality lacks some discernment. Um, at that time, it was common for believers to house itinerant preachers. So as a preacher would be, would be passing through somewhere, uh, the, the people of the local church there would house that preacher and they would let him stay there for however long and, um, you know, just kind of make his dwelling there while he was there. I'm not sure how those connections happened. You know, they, they didn't have, um, you know, Airbnb or anything like that. You couldn't just go and make a reservation. So I'm not sure how the connections happened, presumably word of mouth or something like that. The point is they were made. And the folks at Elect Lady Baptist were housing false teachers. Now, a false teacher is not someone who disagrees with me. Um, it's not even someone who teaches something that's false. Um, if that were the case, no one anywhere would be allowed to preach ever. Like I, I, I suspect no one who's ever preached the word for any length of time has ever done so without making any errors whatsoever. Um, what you see here is that these false teachers were deceivers who promote teachings that necessarily undermine the gospel. Um, so, For example, uh, these people were not simply saying that sovereignty uh, does not exclude the human will. Uh, They weren't teaching that baptism um, is for infants. 
They weren't saying that salvation could be lost. These are all things that I would say are are false teachings. God's sovereignty includes the human will. Baptism is not for infants, and salvation cannot be lost. But someone who teaches those things is not necessarily a false teacher. You can believe all those things and be be orthodox. Um, These people were denying things that uh, are central to the gospel. For example, um, the folks John references denied what John calls the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Uh, Their error was that instead of abiding in the teaching of Christ, they went on ahead. They were were looking for something more. Um, And what a temptation that is. G.K. Chesterton, uh, he said, I've always loved this quote. Uh, He said, the object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth, is to shut it again on something solid. The false teachers knew the truth, and rather than closing their mouths on it, they moved on to the next thing, Um, things that would never satisfy them. And so the call from John to this little church um, is to watch themselves. Um, And as with devotion to the word, this watchfulness... um, has a communal aspect to it. Um, collectively, they were to keep watch over one another's faith. So their, their, their church membership was not to be passive. Uh, their, their church membership was not um, defined by sitting in a pew, listening to the sermon, and taking it to the house. Now, they were much, much more involved in that. They, 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 were, they knew each other. Um, and that's what John was calling them to. He was saying, hey... You need to know each other so well that when problems arise, when, when concerns arise in the lives of the people around you, you can pick up on it. You, you notice them, you, you see them, and you can address those things. Um, there's accountability that should be happening there. Uh, we should be calling one another into account. Um, I, I say that I want to be a culture of, I want to be part of a culture of accountability. Um, Sometimes I, I think I probably don't really want that, if I'm being totally honest. Like, that, that's not a fun thing, right? Like that, 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 that's not something that we enjoy, uh, but it, it is something that I need. Um, when I'm out of line, I need someone who knows me well enough and loves me enough to point it out. Um, and I think that's what he's calling them to here. Keep watch over yourselves. Um, and these relationships, if you'll note, are primarily within the local church. So he's saying that this watching over yourselves is a function of the local church. Um, it, it happens in, um, in those relationships in particular. Now that, that's not to say they don't, that, that, that this sort of thing doesn't happen elsewhere. It certainly does. Uh, I have lots of godly friends that are not at Sylvania who are not afraid of me, they'll call me out, they hold me accountable, things like this. Um, but that is a primary role of the local church, and so I need that here. Uh, I need to know that, that when I'm here, and you need to know that when you're here, um, you're going to be spurred on toward Christ. You're going to be pushed toward Jesus, even if that means um, telling you that things in your life aren't going so well. Um, inevitably that's going to produce hurt feelings. Inevitably that's going to create all sorts of issues that John doesn't get into here. 
who knows what the fallout of things like that are going to be. Um, but those are things that as a local church we work through. Like we don't get our feelings. We, we don't take our toys and go home. Uh, you know, we don't get our feelings hurt and abandon ship. Uh, we, when we're called out, we humbly accept the criticism and if we disagree with it, then we voice that humbly. But I think if we're assuming right motives, if we're assuming that people love us and they want what's good for us, we're going to be a whole lot less hurt uh, when, these, uh, when this watchfulness uh, happens. So putting it together, um, the way a good church continues to be a good church is to know the word, obey the word, and keep watch over one another. And in 2022, I pray that's what Sylvania looks like. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for uh, the word. Thank you for the reminder um, to love one another. And for the reminder that that looks like keeping your commandments. Your commandments are good. Um, As we submit ourselves to your word, um, to Christ's new command to love others as he has loved us. Um, Our love will be marked by self-sacrifice for the good of others, just as you've commanded. I pray that we as a church grow in that. And then, Lord, I pray that we will keep watch over one another. There are real threats from the outside. Um, And it's easy to be deceived Um, And so, Lord, I pray that you will help us to uh, guard one another, to keep watch over one another. There are deceivers in the world. Um, And as we devote ourselves together to your word, um, we'll be protected against those things. And so, um, Lord, help us to um, press on to receive the reward. And so, God, we love you. Uh, We thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for uh, giving us your Holy Spirit to to grow us in these things and to ensure that this growth in obedience and love and that this watchfulness actually happen. We love you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that word.